Welcome to Mission Revive, a podcast dedicated to hope and healing through God's transforming love, where your hosts, anchored in truth and armed with faith, are changing the world and reviving hearts with Jesus, one conversation at a time. Hi. Welcome to this episode of the Mission Revive podcast. I'm Bob Newberry, and I'm a board member of Revive Hope and Healing Ministries, a collection of Catholic apostolates impelled by the Holy Spirit. My partner for today's podcast is Ann Costa, founder and executive director of Revive Hope and Healing Ministries. Welcome and good morning, Ann. Well, thanks, Bob. Um, It's good to be here again. Absolutely. Uh, it isn't it. Yeah. Uh, we've had yeah. some really good podcasts and we're going to continue today because I always feel like when we can have a priest on, we have hit the mother load, really, because it's so hard for them to take the time. I mean, they are so busy and it's always okay. a blessing when they can be with us. So today we have Father Christopher Ballard, who was born in Syracuse, New York, and he's 39 years old. He was a day, ordained a priest on um, June 5th. 2010. Wow, does time fly? My goodness. Uh, He has been an associate pastor at St. James in Johnston City, New York, and uh, Immaculate Conception in Fayetteville, New York. Um, He served as also pastor of uh, Our Lady of Hope in Syracuse, but he is currently your pastor, I believe, Bob, right? Um, The pastor of the Spirit of Hope community catholic community which is um is the home base its home base is in oneida that's a a group of i don't know how many how many churches bob like six six parishes god bless you father chris but his favorite part of his ministry is preaching and teaching enjoys the opportunity to dialogue and defend the faith uh in his spare time what he does that does well, it, well, by the way. I, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Now he's talking about his spare time, which I, I don't know he has much. He does enjoy traveling. He's going to talk about that today. Yeah. Hanging out at the lake and spending time with his cats. Aptly named Francis and Claire. <laughs> Come on in, Father Chris. Let's welcome. Let's see you. Welcome. Yes. There Thank you. Are. you. Thank there you. you are. Yeah. <laughs> For the wonderful introduction. <laughs> yes. Great, great to have you, Father. You know, I... I, I'll tell you the seed. The seed for this uh, uh, invitation of this podcast occurred months ago when, when you had uh, just returned from Africa, and and you were talking about your trip there, and uh, uh, an observation that that you made was that uh, that we we really have much to learn from the people you met in. Uh, in, in your travels there mm-hmm. in terms of faith and, and so forth. And, and maybe we, I, I hope we can get to that right along, but uh, uh, maybe first things first, what took you to Africa? Uh, it was really a, a wonderful opportunity uh, for, for uh, celebrating a first mass. So Father John Leo Odur, who was ordained for our diocese, um, he was assigned as a seminarian at Our Lady of Hope in Syracuse with me. And he, uh, we always talked about when he got ordained uh, for our diocese and went back to celebrate this first mass with his family, uh, that he would want me to join him. And I said, I'll do it. I'll join you when that happens. COVID delayed that celebration by a couple of years. 
Okay. But finally, we were able to go last summer, and uh, it was a great opportunity. T tell us about your uh, uh, your time spent there. What? Uh, how did you spend your time? What did you do? How long were you there? Yeah, we were there for about 10 days. There was uh, four of us. So it was myself, another priest, uh, Father Michael Gallupi, and then uh, a parishioner from Our Lady of Hope, and then a parishioner uh, who was a Catholic school teacher in Binghamton that he'd gotten to know as well over the years. So we would have okay. liked to have brought a bigger delegation because um, there were a lot of people that would have loved to have been with his family and because and, mm. um, they've be kind of become his family in, in this country in since States. he's you know, now living here. Yeah. So... Um, we, we landed in Nairobi and, uh, that's about eight hours away from his hometown. So we spent one night in Nairobi just to kind of recover from the flight, which is a very long flight. And he, um, arranged for us to get a ride from Nairobi to his hometown, which is very remote. Uh, it should have taken eight hours, uh, but it actually took us 10, uh, lack of signage, you know, rough roads and everything. Um, there's no, there, there are some highways in Kenya. But um, this was, uh, we were off-roading it a lot, I think. <laughs> and uh, so 10 hours to his hometown and we were welcomed so warmly by his parents, by his brothers, by his whole family. It was really, really special. Um, and they were so grateful to us because we had taken care of, of John Leo over the time that he has been here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, so you're there for 10 days. Uh, can you run us through the itinerary? Uh, how yeah. So, well, the, the first day arriving, the first thing they did, of course, was they fed us <laughs> <laughs> and they, they really were so hospitable toward us. And, and the, the way the home is set up um, in tradition, in this traditional culture is when you first walk onto the property, onto the homestead, the, the parent's home is directly in front of you in the back of the property. And then the oldest brother uh, has a house on this side, a little house on this side, might be like two rooms. Um, they do a lot of outdoor living too, more than we would. Um, so big house up there for the parents, uh, older brother, next older brother, next older brother. Uh, and then there's like bath houses that were kind of set up a couple different places. So it's a big kind of homestead property. And um, they fed us, we went up to the main house and met his parents, met his, his brothers, met his cousins, and all, all these people kind of came and joined us for dinner. Um, I don't remember what we had that night, but there were probably chicken feet on the menu, I think, and uh, different parts of animals that we wouldn't normally eat. Uh, um, I, I did bravely try the chicken feet wrapped in, I don't even know what it was wrapped in. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, over the course of the next few days, we just, we, we, he sh took us around like some other family properties in the area. We went around the village. We met some more of his family and um, we were the talk of the town. I'll tell you that the, the younger children in his family who have never left, you know, this is very remote. Tourists don't go to this, this place. And so for the people that had never gone to Nairobi, the big city, they had never seen a white person before, like in person. And he told us that he said, the children are staring at you because they have never seen a white person in person before, um, wow. which I, I had never considered that, you know, I, I didn't, didn't imagine that that would be an experience I would have. And um, so they were very enthralled with us and um, the kids were just, were just beautiful. It was, it was really great to spend those days with them. 
And uh, there were two first masses, one at the parish, one at the at the homestead. Again, lots of food, a party, dancing. Dance is a huge part of the culture. Uh, so I got a chance to experience that. Um, we went over to Lake Victoria for a day. Um, and that, that's the the rundown. We can get into more specifics if you want to okay. ask more specific okay. questions. But that's okay. the rundown. And then after that, after the celebration with the hometown, uh, we went to um, a safari in Masai Mara Park, which was, it was just, that was just the, the Americans that were visiting that went to that. We, we said goodbye to the family and went for three days into the national. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, masses, liturgy, very similar to uh, uh, an American mass? Uh... Uh, yes and no. <laughs> so, of, of course, you know, the, the basic elements are the same. Um, but the mass both times, and this is not an exaggeration, four hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. The mass at the parish was four hours. The mass on the homestead was four hours. Um, they, I mean, there was singing and dancing. There were presentation of gifts and celebrations. And um, they just really filled in uh, a lot of, uh, one of the things that really, um, really moved me at the mass at his, at his, uh, at the parish. So they knew there would be a big crowd. People wouldn't even fit inside the church. They had to have the mass on the churchyard for the crowd that came. It must've been a thousand people. Uh, I, it was just a sea of people out there. And as we were driving up from his, his homestead uh, to the parish, we could see people walking uh, from all different places. And he said, they're coming to the mass. And it was just, it was, it was really moving to see people like genuinely wanting to be here for this celebration. Um, and uh, we, we got there and we met the pastor, by the way, uh, and you mentioned, you know, I have six parishes and that must be, you know, so difficult. Father Oliver in this, this town has 12, <laughs> 12 wow. churches. Okay. So he goes to some of them once a month. So I was going to say geographically, I bet you it's pretty spread out too, right? For him? It's even further. Yes. So yeah, ah, it takes sure. hours for him to get to, plus there's no highways, you know, so hours for him to get to one wow. of his churches. Yeah. yeah. But, but people came from all over to, to be here at this celebration. And the, the choir was so moving and so beautiful. They had dance choirs. So at the, at the opening hymn, I had tears in my eyes as we were doing the procession. And Father John Leo is sprinkling with holy water as we're processing down. And there's a, a, a group of girls that um, were in a dance choir, uh, young girls that, that danced in front of us. And it was so, it's hard to imagine like what that would look like, you know, from our perspective, you know, as Americans. And, and I remember as a kid, you know, we had like liturgical dancers at my parish and it doesn't have the same feeling. No. <laughs> this, this dance was so ingrained in the culture. Like every commercial we saw had someone dancing in it on TV. You know, there's dance is such a part of an expression of, of joy for this culture that it just it, it seemed so real and authentic and natural, a natural expression of their joy. And so these girls danced up and, you know, these children have more rhythm in their pinky than <laughs> I do in my whole body. <laughs> and they danced us up to the in the procession and then they danced when the book of the Gospels was brought down yeah. and they danced during the offertory. And they danced after communion. But, you know, one time they didn't dance. They danced during the Gloria. But when we did the act of contrition and, and the, the Lord have mercy, they bowed their heads. 
and very reverently did not dance. And I, you know, it was, it just tells me that they have thought through the appropriate times for joy and the appropriate times to, to quiet ourselves and to reflect on something. So it, it was, it was very beautiful to experience that. Yeah. When, um, you know, when you talked about over a thousand people uh, attended and people flocking from miles away to, uh, 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 to attend the mass, I, uh, what comes to my mind, uh, is numbers have gone down in, in, um, though, you know, with your, your arrival, uh, uh numbers are, are just, uh, growing tremendously, but uh, which, which is great, which is great to see, you know, but, but, um, but I think several years ago we had, uh, the privilege of visiting the Vatican and, and as we we're waiting to get in, uh, for our tour, people just kept arriving and arriving and it was just you know to a mm -hmm. to a catholic to see uh mm -hmm. hundreds and thousands of people really being attracted to your faith uh, it's it's just a wonderful experience and I, I, that's what comes to mind as you describe that mm -hmm. that picture you know um how does and i think uh, the cool thing about like going to the vatican is you you see the world church the universal church represented because you see people from all over the world in that place which is really inspiring oh it is absolutely absolutely so i i is is you as you describe your and i'm going to keep going is that okay okay sure yeah as you as you keep as you describe your experience there father um how what are your takeaways from all that uh how has that impacted uh your faith how has that impacted your priesthood uh what uh, what are some things that that you would want to uh are, are there any things from that that you would want to impart to your uh uh to your parishioners here in the states that's um, awful yeah no i've got some thoughts on that so one thing i saw was authentic joy at gathering together and authentic joy surrounding the things of the faith like and, and some of that is the occasion, right? A first mass, I remember my first mass, there's, there's a lot of joy, right? So it's kind of natural to the occasion, but, but I really got a sense that the, the African church, they're in a different place than, than the church in, in, in our country. Um, and what is that about? And, you know, I, I can't, it's, it, I should not speak in too broad of generalities, but this is my experience of what I saw was authentic joy. Um, people that, generally genuinely wanted to be together and, and to pray together and i mean just people that come from all over not just that day but every sunday people gather from all over because the faith matters to them faith is important to them and what is that about why why is that i think so certainly maybe the elephant in the room is that there is great poverty um in his village in all in the surrounding villages in the country as a whole in, in kenya and the continent in many ways so I think you know, Jesus said it himself, <laughs> it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And, and what he means is that when we become self-reliant, when we become complacent and have everything we need and want, we don't need God anymore. <laughs> and so I, I think in, in many ways, the struggle of daily life leads people to recognize their dependence on God. And, and so the church is a place of comfort. The church also is a place of, of reaching out to the poor. I mean, there are so many um, 
ministries from this parish to take care of those that are in need, the children in the community, and, and they have a they have a Catholic school there. And um, uh, so I, th I think I think Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, is you can see it at work um, in this place. And 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 I'm not I don't want to glorify poverty because we want to help raise people out of this. Right. But there is something about this dependence, you know, realizing I don't have everything. And I have to look to God. And so I think that's where our, our church in this country is at. We're relatively wealthy uh, compared to many parts of the world. We have what we need and want in so many ways compared to people that have to rely on others for their daily bread. And so complacency breeds more complacency with things of the faith. And we don't we don't need God as much anymore. I think. Yeah, okay. take it for granted. Take it, everything for granted. They can't take anything for granted. Yeah. Not even their very yeah. existence. And, and so, you know, another experience I had related to that, we we, we wanted, they're building a church, right? The, the church is not big enough to, to fit their community. And the church is pretty big. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I was pretty moved by that. Um, and so they had the foundations laid and we were talking to um, one of the catechists in the parish. So the, the ministry of catechist is used in many parts of Africa and it's not like, you know, someone who simply goes into religious ed class once a week. It, a catechist um, really takes on a, a greater ministerial role. And Pope Francis has recently talked about this, the role of the catechist. And you see it employed in, in Africa, especially. So I was speaking to one of the catechists who's a leader in the community. And he um, showed me the church and he said, these are the foundations. We really want to continue building this church. And he said, you know, we have to raise money for this. And it might take us 10 years. If that's what it takes us, then it'll take us 10 years and that's okay. You know, when we get more money, we'll put the walls up. When we get more money, we'll do the electrical, et cetera. And that moved me as well, um, that it's a reliance on God and the goodness of others. And so and it's an acceptance of that. Wow. And so, Father, can I just ask a question? The Father Odor, is it? You're, yes, you're, yes. So, so they sent him over here. We're his mission field, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, and I think. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. So he he's he is a missionary to us because I think the church in America has a lot to learn uh, about how to how to depend on God, about authentic joy with things of our faith, about uh, dedication, about hospitality, about there's there's just so much that we have to learn. And, and um, I. I had the opportunity to, to, to be with him for a year as he was a, a seminarian assigned to our parish. And I encouraged him, when you preach, when you get ordained and you preach, please do not hesitate to share stories of your home, to share stories of how you do things, because we need to hear this. We need, we need to know. We have, I have to be careful how I say this because it's kind of politically large to try not to be too political, okay. but we're very proud of, of, of our country and we should be, we have many good things, a lot going for us. And a lot of people have, have poured a lot into this country and have sacrificed to build this country. So I don't want to minimize that at all. But at the same time, you know, if we cry out, you know, our, our country is number one in America first, I, I, that it hits my heart because there are so many beautiful people that, that have, so much to teach us in this world. And, and my experience in Africa was one of those. I mean, people that are very proud of their country in Kenya, and they look up to us in America. 
all these conversations I had were people looking up to our country. And I said, you know, folks, we have our own problems. <laughs> we have a lot of them, actually. And we can learn a lot from you. And they, they kind of pause because they have their, their problems and they have corruption in government and they have all this. And for them to think that they that America could learn something from them, from the people there was kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, but I saw a beauty in, in the people that we experienced and, and, a, and a welcome to us, the hospitality that was really inspiring and a faith, a dependence on God was really inspiring. What would you... Uh... Uh, you know, if you if you had uh, the top two or three uh, items that you would want to impart uh, to and uh, share with your parishioners uh, uh, from your from your time spent in Africa, what would they be? Okay, number one, and this is just in general anyway, in our spirituality, everything is a gift. Everything that I have, even if I've worked for it. Don't put too much emphasis on what I've done, right? Everything is a gift. You might have built a great company and you might now have millions of dollars. You still have to recognize that as gift. Everything I have and am ultimately is a gift of God at work in me. If I've done good work, it's because the gift of God is at work in me. So I think our baseline has to be that. And, and I think for many people that live in poverty, they can't help but think that way because that's their experience of daily life. But for us who have access to lots of goods and services and have money and we might not recognize that as much. So everything is gift. I think that's number one. I think that's baseline for spirituality. Um, I would say number two, that because we have been gifted with more, more is asked of us. And so uh, to be aware of, of the needs of others around us um, and to reach out in love to them. And I hope that from our parish, I would love to help that parish, Unukwala, Kenya, mm -hmm. build their church. I think that could be a beautiful outreach ministry from the Spirit of Hope Catholic community. So we're getting ready to launch this, this idea and see what, where it goes. Um, Very nice. So Yay. yeah, I, it would be a, and then to bring our parishioners to go visit and to see the fruit exactly. of that. I, I that, that, that connection, that community sense can be global. It can be connected that way. That's so beautiful. What a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. For us. So I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will inspire us to, to continue to, to, to do this. Okay. So yeah, so everything is gift. Um, because we are gifted, we, we, we need to, to look after those around us. And, and I think this, this idea of breaking outside of our own context, our own country, our own politics, and seeing a bigger world, as connected as we are right now in the world, we're also somehow closing in on ourselves. And I, it's weird to see that, but I don't, I don't get it, <laughs> but just a willingness to see beyond our own context and to recognize a beauty and a goodness yeah. in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very good. Very good. You just got back from another trip. <laughs> I'm a world Travel's, traveler. You know? Travel is very important to you, I gather. It is. I, I've, I, I'm the first time I ever left this country. Well, I went with my grandma to Canada because she wanted to play bingo and, Gananoque? Is that Gananoque? Yeah. Gananoque? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gananoque, yeah. So I remember that as like a like a 13-year-old uh, with grandma and my aunt. Um, yeah. But then uh, my first time like really going besides Canada right over the border was to Mexico and Mexico City when I was in a college seminary. I was 18 years old and had a chance to to travel to, to Mexico City. So that, that really gave me a, a passion for, for wanting to travel. And so I've had the opportunity 
uh, to travel many times and go to many parts of the world. Some, you know, mission trips and some were um, pilgrimages and uh, some have been for pleasure, but just a chance to, to see the world. I really value that. Yeah. And so most recently I had a chance to go to the Holy Land. I just got back a week and a half ago. Um, we went there. This is my third time to the Holy Land. Uh, my grandma always said, wow, goodness, become a priest and see the world. And yeah, and grandma did. <laughs> I've had a chance. Yeah. yeah. I know. Is your know. grandma still alive? I'm sorry. Is your grandma she still passed alive? away just a couple of years ago. Grandma uh, went to her rest and um, okay. she's at peace. And yeah. All right. I just, I just wondered. I know she was instrumental in your life. So. Um, she was, I just she wanted, was yeah. yeah yeah she still is but just in a different way now she still is yeah, yeah. yep praying so me through these next days to, <laughs> yeah so yeah I saw that you you had a you had a wedding at Cana there is that true uh, yes so that, I saw that on I, Facebook. I try not to be I try <laughs> I try not to have too much pride but that one is going to be a feather in the cap I mean a wedding at Cana that's that's really cool yeah so yeah. parishioners from uh, St. Agatha's in Canastota um, uh, I had a chance to work with them and prepare them for uh, their wedding, and it was really special. It was it was beautiful. It was like a fairy tale wedding in so many ways, a destination wedding, but in the best of <laughs> I guess, yeah, we can we can we can uh, let that one go, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm allowed to have a little one. bit of pride on that. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was wow. cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and going to the Holy Land was just was just beautiful. I mean, to 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 be in in the, around the Sea of Galilee and to to have a chance to pray. I said Mass on Calvary and and to pray in the tomb of Jesus is so powerful. And uh, to go to the to the place where our faith started, you can feel the presence of of the Lord there. I'll give you a little insight though, um, and, then, and then I'll let no, Bob right. finish up. Sorry. Um, so the other priest on the on the trip is Father Michael Golupi. He's in uh, he's in my former parish now, actually, at Our Lady of Hope in Syracuse, and also St. Michael St. Peter's on Bogot Hill. He he has this beautiful sense because you know we go to these places, we go to Nazareth, and it said, you know, and the word became flesh here. It's written in Latin, hic. The word became flesh here. And you go to the when you read the gospel in Capernaum. It says, they add the word this. So when Jesus was preaching in this synagogue in Capernaum, he said the following, you know, I am the bread of life, et cetera. So the words here are added to all of the gospels um, that we read at the holy sites. But then you get into the tomb and the quote of the angel is there above the slab where Jesus laid. It says, he is not here. He has been raised, known, known as he, he is not here, which is remarkable to see that all the other places say he's here he's here this happened here but here he is no longer because he's been raised and then you can go into the blessed sacrament chapel and he is here he's in the eucharist he's present which you know we go halfway across the world to find you know where jesus walked when all we have to do is go into our church or into an adoration chapel and sit with the lord in the eucharist he is here and that's that's probably the most powerful insight from, from our trials. Last uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess we're going to release the podcast uh, this week. We, uh, for the second time, uh, had Father Haig on. Uh, oh, good. And, uh, uh, you know, first time was his book had just come out and and uh, we went through the book. And, and now that uh, uh, the book is really leading to uh, 
some very exciting developments. Uh, uh, and, and the focus now is on, on that as a resource for uh, walking people through Lent. And, and I, I just, uh, uh, and I've had the opportunity personally of, of spending time with you and Father Brooks these last number of months then my interaction with Father Haig and, and uh, you young guys with such energy and passion and commitment and, and really uh, strong intellect, uh, understanding your faith. Um, you're, uh, you're, you're really a blessing uh, uh, to our, to our, our parishes. And I'm, um, I'm wondering what's, uh, you know, we, we, we read about, uh, uh, not pleasant things in the news about the, uh, the you know, the numbers. Uh, we talked about that a little while ago and and uh, uh, how few clergy are available and, and so forth. But boy, uh, I'm, I'm just wondering what your observations are as a relatively young man uh, uh, early in his priesthood uh, with another number of other very uh, exceptional young early in their priesthood, how do you view all this, and how do you view yourself um, really going forward with all this? Well, I would be dishonest if I said that I didn't have a little trepidation or fear about what the future might look like. Um, and but I heard a beautiful quote that said. Just as courage is perseverance in the face of fear, so too is, is faith perseverance in the face of doubt, right? Just because someone's courageous doesn't mean they don't have fear. And just because someone has doubt doesn't mean they're not faithful. So um, I, I think to persevere through that fear and to move forward and, and, you know, I don't know what the church is going to look like in 20 years, in 10 years, in five years. <laughs> but I, you know, so that does give me a little bit of fear. Um, yeah. But I, my, my job, I can only do what I can do. And what I can do is, is preach and teach and celebrate mass and be as faithful as I can be. I'm not perfect. Um, uh, I'm seeking the Lord every day and his mercy every day, uh, just like we all are. Um, we're on the journey together. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's what Bishop Lucia keeps saying. We're in this together. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for what you do, you know. Um, Thank you. And I, I am encouraged by by my brother priests and by our seminarians. There are good men uh, that are are hearing the Lord's call and that really want to serve the church. And I hope that that inspires um, more to to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I'm inspired by by you folks, you know, by by very faithful people that that, you know, despite the the struggles in the church and the, and the number is decreasing and and some of the, the the terrible behavior by by brother priests over the years and and bishops and 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 just people that know the truth and the truth is that this is about Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's not about any one priest or any one bishop. It's about the Lord and and the church is our best bet for encountering Him um, in the sacraments and and in the church's teaching and wisdom. So thank you for your faithfulness. Well, well put. Thank you. Well put. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, Ian, I'm good to go. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. It's yeah. really wonderful just to sit and chat with a priest for once in a while. Absolutely. And 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 experience <laughs> in here because, you know, they have different lives. Their lives are different from ours. You know, we're the laity. They're, uh, you know, they're in the the ministry. They're in the priesthood. So, uh, we both have vocations that we fulfill, 
and um and we need each other so that's i think that's really what it's all about like you just said jesus is in the middle and uh and it's been beautiful really just thank you so much for for everything thank you father thanks so much we'll see you soon We are grateful that you joined us today for another episode of the Mission Revive podcast. We humbly ask for your prayers as we continue in the mission entrusted to us to evangelize and revive hearts with Jesus. We would also ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor of this podcast or making a financial contribution to support this growing ministry. You can do this by visiting our website at revivehopeandhealing.com or through our Revive Hope and Healing Ministries patron page. We cannot do this without you. Thank you.